0: Anyway, but it, he is an encouragement and a blessing. Appreciate him. So he's going to come preach to us. And he told me I had to stay awake or I had to drive to Calvary tonight and listen to the message because he's going <laughs> to preach today and night. So I guess I'll stay awake here. Amen. You can't miss what the Lord has for you, right? you got to stay awake. So if I see you falling asleep, you better come with me. So, uh, that song we sang, uh... It's not probably the best song for me to sing right before I get up to, to <laughs> preach. I can't sing that song without breaking out into tears. Serve a great God. <clears throat> Turn to the book of Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> can't can't be crying already, I haven't even started yet. Second Thessalonians chapter one. <clears throat> we just memorized this book. I'll give a little background before I dive into the chapter. Uh, the church of the Thessalonians was a church that was started by Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17, under great persecution by the Jews. Uh, the Jews hated the gospel Paul was preaching so much, Paul and Silas had to flee to Berea. And once the Jews heard that they preached in Berea, they followed him there and incited riots Those were some deranged lunatics or devils, uh, trying to stir up uh, the people there to attack Paul and Silas, trying to stop the Lord's work. Uh, These Jews uh, were devils in Thessalonica. Paul had written the first epistle to them to encourage and comfort the church uh, there regarding the persecution they were facing. He encouraged them by telling them not to sorrow over those that were martyred as people who have no hope. He reminded them of the coming rapture of the saints. He reminded them that God had not appointed them to wrath, or we could say the seven-year tribulation period time, but that the Lord had appointed them to salvation, or we could say deliverance from that day. He appointed them to obtain salvation. He told them to comfort one another with those truths. But apparently, as we heard this morning from Pastor Byler's message, Satan always has his uh, spirits come into the church and try to discourage God's people. Apparently, there was an attempt by Satan to discourage the church at Thessalonica by having one of his wolves teach that the tribulation period was already upon them. Paul was writing the second letter to them to tell them not to be deceived by this false doctrine. He writes to them to warn them, but mostly to comfort and encourage them that Christ is still on their side. It didn't look like it. You know, these people were suffering. But Paul is telling them, look, the Lord's for you. And that's what the book of 2 Thessalonians is all about. In chapter 1, Paul describes the trademarks of this faithful church at Thessalonica and reminds them of what, they have, of what they have been given as the Lord's church. This morning I want this church to compare itself with the church of the Thessalonians, and ask ourselves if we have these trademarks, and be reminded of what it has been given as the Lord's church. And let's read, I'll read Saint uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, it says this, Paul and Silas and Timotheus, and to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we are ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith, and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've not appointed us to wrath. Lord, we are your children. And Lord, you've put us here in this evil place to be the salt of the earth, to uh, to shine the light of the gospel to those that are deceived by their father, the devil. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to remain steadfast and help us to remember the rest and hope that we have in you and the hope of your return. I pray that you would help me as I preach your word. Lord, I pray you just help me calm my nerves and help me to preach your word according as it is written and uh, just to be faithful to it. And I know that you will honor that. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen. So the Lord's Church, we see the first point here. Um, the title of my message is The Trademarks of the Lord's Church. The Trademarks of the Lord's Church. And we're going to look at several different trademarks. And when I say the word church, uh, the, only, uh, the Lord only has one kind of church. And the point of my message is not to prove that to you from the Bible today, but there's only one kind of church. There are many churches. but There's only one kind of church, that is the Lord's. The Lord's church. There are many churches, but they're not all the Lord's. But that's not the point of my message. But So when I say church, I'm talking about the Lord's church, the only one that the New Testament talks about. So, In verse 1, we see the first trademark of the Lord's churches is that they are in Christ. Paul, it says in verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus into the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, in God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's church is in Christ. The first description Paul gave this assembly in Thessalonica was that they were in God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many churches in the world today. There is the Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, the Christian Church, the Missionary Church, the so-called Church of Christ. There are the Mormon Assemblies, Muslim Assemblies, watchtower assemblies, and on and on we could go. However, there is only one assembly that is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the church of Jesus Christ, the one he purchased with his blood and started here. And I believe he started his church in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. This church of, uh, at Thessalonica was the Lord's. It wasn't Peter's, it wasn't Paul's, it wasn't Silas's, it wasn't whoever the pastor was there, it was the Lord's church. And, you know, some of us, probably everyone here, attended the wedding of Andrew and Hannah Reynolds uh, last, uh, yesterday. Now, the wedding was a celebration of a union of two separate individuals, now, as much as Pastor probably doesn't want to admit it, Hannah Byler is not a Byler anymore. She's, Hannah Byler doesn't exist anymore. Her name's Andrew Reynolds. She has become one with her husband. They are one flesh, one unit, and they no longer function as separate individuals anymore. They, they function as one. Likewise, the church is one with Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. There are several passages that explain this, but this one is the best, I believe. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. It says, "...husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word." that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we, are members speaking to that specific church at Ephesus, that the church, the body of Christ, is in Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. He is the husbandman. And the church is his bride. We're his. You no, know, that's, that's a wonderful blessing to know that we are the Lord's possession. We are the Lord's bride. You know, when there's an attack, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but when there's an attack on one of the Lord's churches, Whoever's attacking, they're attacking the Lord's bride. Let me tell you, if somebody were to attack my wife, they don't have a problem with just my wife. They have a problem with me. I'd be careful with how you treat one of the Lord's churches. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Paul told the assembly that was at Corinth that they were the body of Christ. And Paul told the church at Colossae That the body of Christ or the church, that they were dead and that their life was hid with Christ in God. Colossians 2 or chapter 2 and chapter 3 explain that. You know, again, for example, you know, Hannah Byler does not exist anymore. Her name's Hannah Reynolds. She does not exist as a separate individual, she's one with her husband. Likewise, the Lord's church is not just an assembly of people that does what it wants, when it wants, how it wants. The Lord's church is in perfect unity with Jesus Christ, the God man. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ is its head. Just as the husband is the head of the wife, Christ decides who is a part of his assembly, Christ decides who the pastors are, Christ decides what is preached. Christ decides how his assembly worships. Christ decides how, he, or how his assembly dresses, how his assembly ministers, how his assembly prays, how his assembly gives, who his church ordains, who his church sends out. All of that. It, it's not for the pastor to decide those things. It's for Jesus Christ, the God-man. It's his church. The head of the Lord's church is not a pastor, it's not a deacon board, it's not a committee, it's not any denomination, it's not a pope. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head. Just as Hannah Byler's head is no longer her father, her head is now Andrew Reynolds. You know, so I ask you, church, you you are the Lord's. And you can rest in that truth and be comforted in that, tr- that truth. We are important. We, don't, we might not look, we're a small group of people, we might not look very important, but we are important to the Lord. His word has a say in what is done here. And I ask you, are you submissive to God's way? Not your way, but are you submissive to God's way? Are you submissive to the way our pastor has led our church in God's word. Or are you or do you wish that we would do things outside of God's word? Now there's many ideas out there of how a church is supposed to function, how to bring in more people, how to make a greater impact on the world. But they're not according to truth. They're not according to the Bible. They're man's ways. And man's ways are not God's ways. So I ask you, are you submissive to God's way? Your pastor's job is to lead you in God's way. So I ask you, are you submissive to your pastor? You say, well, I'm not submitted to any man. I'm submitted to Christ. Well, you know, that's impossible. If you're a member of his church, you cannot be submitted to God and not submitted to your pastor. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey them, speaking of the pastor's, This is a letter to the church of Jerusalem. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Listen, when when pastor maybe comes and corrects something in your life, he's doing it for you for your own good. And you may not like it, but it's for your good. He knows that, you know, for one, he's going to have to give an account of how he watched his sheep. But you're going to give an account for how you listen to the counsel of your pastor. That's God's way. It is God's way that you obey your pastor. And that is such a wonderful protection for us as sheep. We can trust and, and rely upon our pastor and you know, examining God's word to make sure he's he's leading us in God's way. Because that's what he does. He's faithful in that. He leads us in God's way. I hope you're thankful for him. Secondly, turn back over to Second Thessalonians chapter one, we see a trademark of one of the Lord's church is that they are characterized by faith and love. Look at verse three. It says, "We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. You know, just about every church, church I can think of says they're characterized by those two things: faith and love. <laughs> Every, just about every single one of them, they would say, Yeah, we're, we're faith and love. However, the faith and love most churches exhibit is a faith and love of their own imaginations. It's not a faith and love that, that, that comes from this book. It's a faith and love that is actually Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist, as we heard about this morning. Now their faith is a mystical, blind faith and a God of their own imagination. Faith in a God that does not judge. Faith in a God that never offends. Faith in a God that wants them to be happy, wealthy, and blessed all the time. A faith that says, if you just believe it, it will be true. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could just believe something? <laughs> there it is, it's true. <laughs> That'd come in handy sometimes, but. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a lie. It's a total lie. I went to Joel Olstein's website. I promise it was not to buy something. I promise you that. It was looking for an illustration for the sermon. And it, it uh, didn't take me long to find one there. <laughs> uh, the homepage, it had an advertisement on it for a book called Faith, Faith. That moves mountains. A video advertisement for the book came up of him and his wife talking about the book. His, wife's, you know, his wife leads in the conversation. It says, We all face, this is a quote. quote, We all face giants in our life, but when you believe all things are possible, one touch of God's favor will turn any situation around. So my question to her would be, faith in what? Faith in what? Because, again, you know, she says, she says uh, we all face giants in life, but when you believe, what do you believe in? She, she doesn't say what you're supposed to believe in, but just you believe, like some magical belief. Uh, confusing. And she doesn't say, you know, she, she says one touch of God's favor. You know, Well, how do you get God's favor? How, how do we get God's favor? How do we get that one touch of God's favor? She, she doesn't, maybe, maybe it's in the book. I didn't read the book. You know, I'm not going to read the book. But uh, then Joel, uh, good old Joel Osteen, says this, quote, God being for you. And, you know, he left out if God before us. He didn't say if. He just said, God being for you is more than the world being against you. Request this resource and it will help you have mountain-moving faith. So he's saying that his book is going to help you have mountain-moving faith. That's blasphemy. That is blasphemy. That is antichrist. They twist the scriptures. Notice they use the scriptures, but they do it with their own agenda, just like Satan. They twist the scriptures for their own profit. They're of their father, the devil, they're spirits of Antichrist. And you know, I'm thankful that we have a shepherd that uh tries to protect us from those things. Don't don't listen to Joel Stein. <laughs> The Lord's church, we see true faith. What is true faith? The Lord's church has faith in a person, the Christ of the Bible, and they act upon that faith. And faith that is not acted upon is not faith. That's what the whole book of James is about. Faith without works is dead. It's, it's not faith. Faith causes you to do something. Just like with the illustration of repentance. Repentance. Repentance causes you to an action. Faith should cause your faith, if it's in Christ, it should cause you to follow in Him and and obey Him and trust in Him. It is not a magical faith that takes all your physical problems away, that makes you happy, wealthy, and blessed in a physical sense. The church at Thessalonica was a church that was facing horrible persecution and poverty a terrible persecution. Their faith did not take away the persecution, but rather it was the cause of the persecution. It's kind of the opposite of what Joel Osteen says. Joel Osteen says faith will take away all your problems. Well, no, not not necessarily, not in the earthly sense. Faith does take away my problems in the spiritual sense that I can trust the Lord when I have problems. But the problems are still there, (laughs) Doesn't take the problem away. You know It, it says, despite, you know, despite this persecution that they were facing, Paul said that their faith growed exceedingly, which means to increase beyond measure. Wow. Through the hardships that they were going through, their faith growed exceedingly. And let me tell you, that is a trademark of the Lord's church. It should be. We're coming, you know, we live in dark days and the days are growing darker and and more and more evil. But that ought not hurt or cause us to to lose our faith. It should cause us to grow in our faith. So what is your faith in? Is your faith in yourself, the God of your imagination, or the God of the Bible? If you have faith in God of the Bible, will you act upon that faith? Do you act upon that faith? Faith without works is dead. Biblical faith will grow exceedingly, and so will your obedience to that faith. Do you live in fear? You know, there was a slogan that was going around during the COVID shutdowns. Faith, you know, what what did it say? It said, uh, faith without fear over faith or something like that. But that... That should be how we live. We should have faith over fear. You know, if anybody had the right to live in fear, you'd think these people here, they had the right to live in fear. You'd think they didn't. The other thing we see, and I've got to keep moving here, the other thing we see is that, uh, that the church is characterized by is by love. And again, just about every kind of church I can think of says it's characterized by love. Whoever their love is, a love of their own imaginations. It's a love that never judges, that accepts everyone. Now, have you ever seen church signs that say, all are welcome? All are welcome. I, I've seen those frequently. You know, I, maybe those people that, that, that put that up, they have good intentions, but well, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. Turn to 2 Thessalonians, just a page over, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 15 says, Paul told them, now we, this is a church that's characterized by love. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, "'Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail, night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. "'Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. "'For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. "'For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies.' Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And there's lots of passages in the New Testament where the church is called to separate themselves from people that are not following the Lord. God doesn't want people who refuse to submit to him, his pastor, and his church. Now, all are welcome in the sense that they're welcome to come and repent of their ways and to follow the ways of the Lord. We, we want all to come. Praise the Lord for that. No man can sin greater than, than what the Lord will forgive. The Lord will forgive everybody. And we do welcome all in the sense that they come and repent of their sins. But if they're not willing to repent of their sins, Paul actually tells us to do the opposite. The Lord told us to do the opposite of that. He said, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Get rid of the leaven. Get rid of the sin out of your church because it'll infect everybody. Get, get rid of it. But, you know, how many churches practice church discipline? Not very many. And not in a biblical way, those that do. You know, there's not a much more loving thing a church can do than practice church discipline. It shows love from the the pastor and the leadership of us to protect us. But it also shows love to that person that's being disciplined. What did Paul say? He said, Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother, that he would turn from his ways. That's biblical love. So I ask you do you have biblical love that is growing? Do you love the Lord and is His and His body enough to trust the leadership of the pastor when it doesn't seem so loving? When sin has to be dealt with. Sin can be messy. It can be hard for the pastor to lead in something like that. Thirdly, we see the Lord's churches are also characterized by their Uh, endurance through persecution and tribulation. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith, and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the Lord's church is advancing toward the gates of hell. Praise the Lord for that. We're in a war and we're we're storming the gates of hell as a church. But let me tell you something, you know, we're under, as a church, we're under great attack. We're in a war and Satan, Satan doesn't want us to storm the gates of hell. We're under great attack. There are many spirits of Antichrist out there. But, you know, despite Satan's attacks, Lighthouse Baptist Church is still here. Isn't that wonderful? Think about all the attacks we've faced as a church. We're still here. And you know, one day, I pray it never happens. If this church was to sink, to go away from the Bible, that's the only way it's going to be destroyed is if it goes away from the Bible. If it does, the Lord will still have his faithful churches in the world. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But, you know, these people, Paul praises these people for enduring the persecution and tribulations that is brought on by Satan. But the question could be asked, why does God allow his churches to go through the persecutions and tribulations brought on by Satan and his children? Well, verse 5 and 6 tell us, it says, which is, talking about their uh, their patience and faith and all their persecutions and tribulations that they're enduring, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Now God is cleansing his church and making them worthy of his kingdom. Verse 5, that's what verse, uh, verse 5 says, it's a manifest token of the righteousness of God, that we may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which we're suffering. Now some of us, or some of you might have a problem with me saying, that Christ is making us worthy. And I, I understand why you might think that. However, you know, that's what this passage says. And in fact, God's word commands us to walk worthy of the Lord. In Ephesians four one, Colossians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, and, and many other passages, we are commanded to walk worthy of the Lord. And Jesus said, those that take up their cross and follow him are worthy of him. In Revelation three four, Jesus said, that there were some, even in Sardis, that wicked town Sardis, that had not defiled their garments and were worthy of the Lord. You may say, well, how can we ever be worthy? Now, the answer to you is you must realize that you, without Christ, are unworthy of him, and you must put on his robes of righteousness. He can make you worthy. And as children of the Lord, if you're saved, the Lord has made you worthy He's justified you. He's made you worthy of Him. So much that He bought you with His blood. You don't get any more worthy than that. The blood of Christ is what has bought you. That's how much your worth is. He will make you worthy through sacrificial blood. He will justify you and make you worthy of Him. If you are saved, you have the worth of the shed blood of Christ. You are worthy. Praise the Lord for that. And because he has made you worthy, you must learn to walk worthy of him. And all the epistles, as you read the epistles, that, that, that gets referenced many times that we are commanded to walk worthy of the Lord. And the persecution the church goes through is allowed by God for the purpose of cleansing, testing, trying, and making it worthy of him. There's a quote, that says this, quote, where suffering is coupled with righteous endurance, God's work is done. The fires of persecution and tribulation were like the purifying fires of a refiner, burning away the dross from the gold, bringing forth a pure, precious metal. Application would be, will we as a church be burnt out? When suffering and persecution comes, will we be like the church of Thessalonica, like the church of Thessalonians, and continue to be faithful? And if we do, the Lord will count us worthy of him. Or, will we sink? Will we give up? You know, Judas, it looked like Judas was one of, the, one of those in his church that was faithful, but it turned out he had no part in Christ. And we've seen people like that come and go in our church. They look, they look good, but they depart. There's two judgments going on here. Look at verse 6. So we see the first point is the Lord is making us worthy of Him. Secondly, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. There are two kinds of people being judged. One is being judged worthy, and that's the Lord's faithful churches. The other is being judged as condemned. God is judging His faithful churches worthy because of their patience and faith in Him. Despite the persecution and he is condemning the world through his churches. There's a perfect example of this in Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So how did Noah condemn the world? Well, He moved with fear and prepared an ark and got in the ark. You know how we, as a church, condemn the world? We stay faithful to Him, Despite the persecutions we face, we stay faithful to the Lord. And in doing so, as his bride, as we stay faithful to our great Husbandman, the Lord will reward us. And let me tell you something, the Lord's coming back. And those that have done his church wrong, the Lord is going to bring recompense upon them, his vengeance upon them. When the Lord's church is persecuted for preaching righteousness by saying things like God hates sodomy, God hates parents taking their children to drag shows, which has been going on a lot. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. God hates socialism. God hates contemporary Christian music. God hates corrupt Bible versions. God hates lack of separation. Those that persecute the church for saying such things are opposing Christ Himself, and He will take His vengeance out on them. You say, that sounds terrible. Well, that's what the passage says. We serve a holy and righteous God, and the Lord loves us and loves His church so much that there's coming a day when all those that have treated it wrongfully He's going to judge. Fourthly, I must hurry. Are you awake? You still awake? Okay. The Lord's church has a rest. Fourthly, the Lord's church has a rest. We see, um, let's see, I didn't put my verse down. Where is that at? Oh, yeah, verse 7. And to you who are troubled, those that are being persecuted, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed in that day. Paul says, rest, rest with us. People can cause a lot of hurt to the Lord's churches, but God is going to make all things right. He is the judge of all the earth, and he sees every attack by Satan and his wolves against his bride. His church has been given a rest to them. The word rest is a noun in the Greek. It is something that the Lord gives to his churches. The Lord gives rest. What did Jesus say? He said, Come unto me, all ye that are uh, that weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The church has a rest, knowing. Judge of all the earth does right. That He's coming for us again, and that He will, and we don't have to take vengeance out on those that do us wrong. The Lord's going to have to; Lord will do that for us. We're His bride. Now I have the responsibility as a husband to protect my wife, and somebody if somebody does something to my wife, I have the responsibility to, to intervene to try to help. Lord, same with this church. It's not on her to defend, you know, defend herself in a sense I have, as a husband, I have a responsibility to defend her. Revelation 6, verse 9 through 11 tells us of the souls of those that were martyred. They cry from the altar. They say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said to them that they should rest yet for a little season and tell their fellow servants also and their brethren that they should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. You know, if you've been hurt by somebody unjustly, you can rest. You can rest in the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Don't be bitter. Trust Him. The Lord will reward you for that. He sees every wrong doing that's done against you. He certainly sees it against his church. Now, the third verse of A Mighty Fortress is Our God says this And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. One little word. Lord's gonna tell his angel, go get Satan, that serpent, the devil. You know, this it's not there's this thing called dualism that's taught that, that God is fighting in this war and there's this great struggle between good and evil. That's a bunch of baloney. That's it, not what's going on. God is the sovereign Lord of His creation. And though he allows man to do what man wanted to do from the beginning of the time that he created, man wanted to, to bring sin and suffering into the world. And he allows man to have what it wants for a time. But there's coming a day when everything that's going to be done is going to be done the Lord's way. So don't mess with the application, don't mess with one of the Lord's churches. Don't cause division or schisms in his body to his bride. And to you who are troubled, rest. You know, we learned about the Jews in the book of Esther. You know, the Lord, the Lord had a way of working that that terrible situation out. What did the Jews do? They say, Oh no, what are we gonna we're gonna take up our arms? They prayed and fasted. They prayed. And the Lord delivered them. Fifthly, I'm almost done. The church has a high calling. Think of verse 11. So we've seen why the Lord allows persecution and suffering and that all of his churches go through some form of it. But also we see in verse 11, the church has a high calling, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that he may be kind of worthy of the kingdom of God for which he also suffer. Oh, that's not it. Um, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Uh, that's not it. Let's see. Um, oh, here at verse eleven. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfil all the good pleasure of His goodness in the work of faith with power. What's what's the calling? Well, the calling is grow in patience and faith despite the persecution, endure the persecution, endure the tribulation, endure the, tribulation. Endure the suffering. And in doing so, you will manifest the, the judgment of God and His glory. Thirdly, rest in the Lord, and the result is God will be glorified. That's our high calling. Grow in patience and faith, endure, and be faithful, manifesting God's righteous judgment. Rest in Him, wait for His return, and God will be glorified. That's the church's high calling. People claim to be called to do many things. Many preachers in the world claim to be called by God to preach, when in reality they've called themselves. Many so-called ministries exist today because of people perceiving a call by God to do something. Sadly, most of the time they've just called themselves to the task. They're trying to do things man's way. As members of the Lord's body, his church, we have a high calling, the highest calling. To serve the living God, to be serving members of his body as his representatives. There's no higher calling than that. This church, there's no higher calling than for you to be faithful here as members of one of the Lord's churches. You may look at other ministries and wow they're making such an impact over there. No, this is the Lord's plan for you. His church. This is the highest calling. Be faithful where the Lord has put you in his body. And serving the Lord is a great calling. He's worthy of it. And it's not a burden to serve the Lord. It's a high calling. And last, we see verse 12, the Lord's church has been given the grace to fulfill this high calling. It's a hard, high calling, but you know what? The Lord gives grace to fulfill it. Look at verse 12, that the name, the high calling, be obedient to that high calling, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace, not your own strength, but according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by the Lord's grace that we can serve and be worthy of Him. It's all of, Salvation is all of grace. And without it, we can do nothing. Serving the Lord without Christ, when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, those works are just going to be burnt up. We have to serve the Lord God's way, and we need to do it relying upon His grace. We need to beg God for more grace, to stand, to be faithful, to trust Him, for without Him we can do nothing. Again, the mighty fortress is our God. Says, "Did we? I'm not sure which verse this is. I didn't write that down. But did we, in our own strength, confide? Our striving would be losing." We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. The battle will be won by Jesus Christ and Him alone. Praise the Lord. He desires to win the battle through His churches. He wants to use us. Praise the Lord for that. We have a great and wonderful high calling. First Thessalonians 5, verse 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. This church can be faithful amid Satan's attacks, but only by God's grace. We need to ask the Lord for it. We need to have complete reliance upon him, for he must win the battle. So I ask you in conclusion, are you thankful for what the Lord has given you as his bride, as his church? Are you a member of one of his churches? And as a church and as individuals, you know, the church is made up of individuals here, it's made up of its people. Are you faithful to the high calling God has given you? Are you serving here God's way?